Thank you very much. Let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to Ephesians, would you? Ephesians chapter 4, continuing our series this this month and last month on being a church member and what it is to be part of a local church. In Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning, in, beginning in verse number 13. Uh, last week we looked at verses 11 and 12, and we saw that God has a very specific desire for his church. And of course, what is a church? Well, a church is a called out assembly of born again believers. So you have different uh, people within the church, uh, all of which different gifts, different abilities, different backgrounds, but all who have been born again by the spirit of God. God has added us to the church according to his will, and he has a plan for us. So People who are not a part of a local church or who have not have been saved, uh, those folks are in need of the gospel. And that is something that we, you and I have been called to do, to give the gospel, to be a witness to what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, to tell others that he can save them, that he loves them, that he can forgive them of their sin. And, uh, and that is a role that we have. Specifically, those we're in Ephesians here, uh, God is telling us, well, what happens after people have been saved? Uh, what is his will? What does he want to accomplish within a church? What is his goal? And uh, what he desires is what we ought to die- desire as well. Pastor Phelps did not make mention the announcements this morning of something very special. Some of you probably saw the announcement on Facebook, but uh, they, you know, are expecting and they found out, he found out yesterday just what it is that they're expecting. It's a baby, okay? Um, but it's a boy. And that's what they believe. And so we're excited about that. I thought it was pretty neat, the reveal. See, when Cindy and I were having children, reveals weren't a thing. You know, it was just the reveal came when the baby came, you know, or maybe at, at the ultrasound, you know, that was the reveal. You know, you, your wife, and the person in there with... Uh, greasy fingers, you know, and that that was it. But now uh, I thought that was very creative. I saw you both wearing your uh, Patriot hoodies and and uh, uh, Rianne went in under center, took a snap of a was that a football? I mean, it looked like a football from and uh, did you make that? Do you buy those? You can buy those reveal footballs. All right. So anyway, so Rianne took the snap from Dan and she made a, a good it's kind of more of a shovel pass, I thought. Rianne caught, or, or Dan caught it, which we were thankful for. And anything having to do with the baby, I have to say, I was kind of like, oh, you know, don't drop it. But it wasn't the baby. It was just the ball. And then Dan spiked it, and poof, there was a bunch of blue, which was a boy. And we're all excited about that. So congratulations. There's so many congratulations. When you add in a reveal, it's like a whole nother congratulations. You know, it's expecting congratulations, reveal congratulations, and then birth. Anyway, uh, it's exciting, and we're excited for you. You know, for a baby to grow, uh, for a little person to grow, there are so many different things that are a part that come into play. You have light and warmth. You know, a baby needs to have that warmth in the home. And then there's nourishment and food and protection, and um, all those things are necessary, and it's wonderful to watch a, a baby grow um, from that moment of bringing it home to, to now 
I took Ian and Will to the batting cages the other day this week, and uh, I got to crank up the machine and you know. Uh, and then when I would when they would miss, occasionally I would raise my fist like I had thrown a strike, you know, with the machine. And you have all of this range of growth, you know, within training up a child and a child growing to maturity. And, and that is, in a sense, what is being likened or shown to us here in this passage. You remember the day you were saved. Remember when you were saved, you received Christ. At that point, you were a baby believer. And uh, one of the Flint Township detectives, had a, his wife had a baby this week. And uh, I congratulated him and uh, were excited for, for Tanner and his wife and their little baby, Nora. And, uh, and I, but I had to say, I was thinking about it and I was remembering, you know, this, I think this is their first child and life changed with the first child. Um, and, uh, you know, you bring that baby home and they have these onesies, you know, how do you put a baby in a onesie? You know, I mean, they're, and I know there's ways to do it and babies are really flexible, but I never felt comfortable, you know, just pulling their arm out and stuffing it into the armhole or the leg. It just... It just was very uncomfortable for me. Uh, but babies grow, right, and, and they develop, and then they're running and playing and functioning. And you remember when you were first saved, you were like that little infant. Couldn't do much of anything. Didn't know much of anything. And, and yet God, through his word, nourishment of his word, the warmth and the love of the body of Christ, all of these things, the light of his word, all cause us to grow up into him. And that is what is being talked about in this particular passage. And God's given us gifts to help us with this. Look at verse 11. He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets. And we know those gifts are no longer in use because we have the completion of the word of God. And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. What for? What's the purpose? What's the point of pastors and teachers and evangelists? Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, that's the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we looked at verse 11 and 12 last week in detail, and so he's given us these gifts to grow us, mature us, perfect us, so that we'll serve the Lord each day. That's what it means to do the work of the ministry and in particular, so that the body of Christ would grow. So many of you have played such an integral a role in my life, in the spiritual growth in my life. Uh, many of you even today, even you being here, making the word of God a priority in your life today is an incredible encouragement to me. Now, the opposite can also be true. Um. And we can be discouraged, we can be encouraged, but that edifying, the word edifying, to build up the body of Christ. When you serve the Lord, it edifies and strengthens me. Um, Adam, how many miles do you drive one way to church? A hundred miles. Okay. This morning I arrived for a meeting with the pastor, pastoral staff for prayer, like we normally meet on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., and I walked in the hallway, coming just a little before 9 a.m. The door opens and in walks Adam and uh, his wife Angela and their little baby Alex. How old is he? Seven months. 
course, he loves getting up and driving 100 miles one way to church. Right? Okay. Um, I was encouraged. They had made a priority to assemble with this assembly today, arriving early so Angela could practice with the trio so that they could sing and be an encouragement and blessing to us. That's an encouragement. I'm edified. I'm strengthened by that. I think, wow, if you will make that a priority, if you will make the body of Christ a priority, if you'll serve the Lord, if you want to gather that much, if you're willing to put yourself up here and sing with Mr. Birmingham and Pastor Tolman, and they sound wonderful, and we're edified by that, it's an, it, incur, it strengthens me. It builds me up. It says, you know what? I want to serve the Lord, too. I want to be faithful, too, in what he has called me to do. And I'm sorry to embarrass you this morning, but I could look around this room, and there's so many of us, so many of you who are making choices. I am going to serve the Lord. If no one goes with me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord when I don't feel like it. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to worship him. He's going to be the priority of my life. Uh, He's worthy of that. He's worthy of that. And when we do, it edifies and it strengthens others around us. Okay. Now look at the the rest of the passage, verse 13 down through verse 16. I'll read it and then we'll pray. And really, as we read these verses, find the answer to the question, well, what is the result or the product of a mature body of Christ? As we grow up in strength and we're edified and we are growing and maturing, what is the result? Look at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So maturity or Christ-likeness is one of the things that's produced as we mature. Verse 14, look at what happens next. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness Uh, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So there's stability that we see as a result of maturing. And then look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And that's sincerity, that which is genuine. Um, It's sincere. And then verse 16, from whom the whole body, speaking about a church, different members, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And these are the verses we're going to look at this morning. What is the result when you and I grow and and mature, grow up, Um, what is the result? Let's pray, and then we'll look at God's word this morning. Father, I pray that you'd help us today. I pray that you would take your word by your spirit, and that you would apply it to our hearts this morning. Give us a vision, Lord, for what you want to do, what you are doing. And Father, I pray that your word would find humble hearts this morning. Hearts that are willing to kneel before your will. Uh, Hearts that are willing to embrace your will. 
and want what you want and desire what you desire. Father, have your way in our lives, I pray, for your glory. I'm asking these, thing, these things in Christ's name. Amen. Is, is maturity uh, easy? Is growing up easy? What do you think? I don't think it is. I think it's possible uh, for a human being physically, you feed them, clothe them, give them some sort of education, or not, you know, for that matter. They're going to grow if you give them food and water and some light. You know, they're going to grow. But what you may get is a full-grown adult that's immature. Wouldn't you agree that's possible? Andy, I saw you uh, elbowing Todd uh, this morning. Uh, <laughs> should you two be sitting together? I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, maybe not in this message. Or maybe this is the perfect spot. I know exactly where to look. No. Um, <laughs> just getting older doesn't equal maturity. It's not the same thing. And just being saved, having been saved as a, maybe a young person or a certain point in your life, does not equal maturity. Just uh, So there's, there, you're going to have to, as we've seen from this passage, you're going to need to receive the gifts that God has given. You're going to have to receive, I'm going to have to receive the teaching instruction of the word of God. I'm, I have a responsibility to say yes to the leading and the instruction of the spirit of God. His working in my life if I'm going to grow and mature. Not every believer is mature. We're certainly not, when we're saved, we're not saved and we're not mature. Strong, healthy, discerning, doctrinally sound, you know, good examples. And the fact is, we all still stumble and fall. We have this flesh. So that is a part of the equation as well. But even having this flesh, God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. And it's his plan. He's, gifts, he's given gifts to this end. He, he, by his spirit, is working to this end. He's bringing trials and hardships into our lives, allowing temptations into our lives, even allowing personal failures in our lives to grow us, okay, to mature us. So I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be a baby believer. Nothing wrong with being a baby believer. That's where we start, but I don't want to stay there, and God doesn't want us to stay there as well. So what is the result? Well, we, we see it here, and I, I outlined it for you already in these verses we're going to look at. Verse 13, I notice, first of all, that with growing maturity, with maturity comes unity. This is what we can expect. Look at verse number 13, the beginning part. He says, till we all come in the unity of of the faith, till we all come into the unity of the faith. So there's this unity. He brings this up again. He, unity within the body of Christ is very important to God. It's very important to God. The church at Corinth, another church outside of the church at Ephesus, the ch church at Corinth was a very immature church. They were babes in Christ. And because of their immaturity, they had divisions among them. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, oh, you have that, you have the gift of tongues. I wish I had the gift of tongues, you know, and if I can't have the gift of tongues, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home type of attitude. It was, they were very immature. They were very caught up in following men. 
well, you say of your of Paul, well, I'm of Apollos, and well, I'm of Cephas, and I think Cephas better than Apollos, and I think Apollos and Cephas are better than Paul, and and Paul has to correct all of this. And their division, there were divisions within the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says to the church of Corinth, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me, of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So you think about that. Um, we could be thankful, I think, that God is not recording an eternal record for all to read of our church, knowing the hearts of every single person. And and Paul says of the church at Corinth, there are divisions, contentions. You're you're literally contentious with one another. God wants a church that is united. And this has come up several times in our series. This is incredibly important. Uh, we, can all tr- we can try all we want to create unity, but that is not as w- that's not what he's telling us to do. We ought to, desi- to desire unity, but we can try all we want to create unity, and we can come up short of what God is looking for. The unity that God desires is the unity of the faith. And that is specifically what he says in the text in the beginning of verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Faith, taking God at his word. Till we all are united in individually taking God at his word. So, Mr. and Mrs. Lunny, going through a battle with cancer in Mrs. Lunny's life, taking God at his word. And Pastor Scott leading a group to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. Those individuals ought to be taking God at his word. The pastoral staff at Trinity and our staff as a whole ought to be taking God at his word. The deacons, um, the Tuesday uh, ladies Bible study and the Berean class and the home builders class, Sunday school classes and the Omega class and the overcomers class and the teenagers within our church individually taking God at his word. And that's what he's talking about here, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Pastors are given to this end. Teach and preach the word of God. And it is our responsibility responsibility as individuals to take God at his word. And as we do, he brings us into unity. The unity, what is the unity? Of taking God at his word. Believing what he says to such a degree that we are actually doing what he says in our lives. Making hard decisions to follow the leading of the spirit of God in our lives. And therefore not being conformed to this world. But being transformed. So God wants us to be growing up. He wants us to be maturing. He wants us to be united in this faith. He wants us to be brought into this wonderful Unity and oneness, the the body of Christ functioning together, uh, taking God at his word in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ leading in our lives. And when this happens, there's a, a deep fellowship with Christ that we experience. Would you say in your life where you are today, would you would you describe your your spiritual life, your your um relationship with Christ, would you describe it as a deep oneness? Um, 
being in close fellowship. Would you would you describe it as that? Uh, look at the look at the passage in verse number thirteen, the middle part. He says, "And of the knowledge of the Son of God." Now, when we think of the word knowledge, we think of knowing something, right? Um, I know that North Carolina beat Duke last night in the championship game. I know that Kansas beat Villanova in the final four and that Kansas is in the championship game. I know those things, but there's no, there's nothing that I can say. I had nothing to do with any of it. I didn't participate in any way. Um, it was on TBS, so I couldn't even watch it, you know. Um, so there's there's no nothing experiential that I have as far as my knowledge. My knowledge is very simply, I'm aware of those things. They're facts. I know they happened, and that's it. That is not what our Lord wants for you and for me when it comes to our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He just doesn't want us to know that Jesus died for us and that Jesus rose again and that he lives and that heaven is real and that victory over sin is possible, but we don't ever experience any of that. He wants us to come into this experiential knowledge. He wants you to experience victory over temptation in the way that he was victorious over temptation. He, he wants you to experience taking up your cross daily and choosing to follow him the way Jesus Christ took up his cross and followed Christ. He wants you and me to experience full surrender to him and his leading in our lives, even when everything in us is saying this is a, our flesh is saying, and our flesh is wicked, says this is a terrible idea. I don't want to do this. And I think of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying, sweats uh, great drops of blood, sweating it. His body, physical body is almost breaking down under the stress of becoming sin for the whole world. And he prays to his father, Father, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And using trials, even allowing temptations into our lives, knowing that we have flesh, Knowing that we live in a wicked world, in a society that is anti-Christ. That is our world today. It is anti-Christ. It is anti-God. It is not about truth. Our world today is like the island of Crete in Paul's day where everybody was a liar. They couldn't help. It was just part of who they were and their character. They were liars always. That's our world today. And living in this world... Our Heavenly Father wants you and me to have this experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he says, of the knowledge of the Son of God. He's talking about knowing Christ through experience. He, he's talking about understanding God's desires and submitting to what Christ desires. 
Uh, look later on in the passage. Look down to verse number 17. And notice how he applies this truth, this idea of experiencing Christ to the point of you are in fellowship with him. So there's a battle going on at this point. Not with Christ, if you're in fellowship with him, but with your flesh. There's an, and look, what, look at verse 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, from now on, walk not as other Gentiles walk. Don't live like the world, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, that has the idea of being calloused or desensitized to sin, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Oh, that's not a word we use all that often. What does it mean? It means all forms of sexual depravity. That's what the word lasciviousness means. To work all uncleanness with greediness. That's the endless pursuit of sexual pleasure. But ye have not so learned Christ. He says, you know better. Christ lives in you. He is leading you not to continue to live the way you used to live or the way your flesh is inclined to live or the way the rest of the world does live, you know Christ. He lives inside of you. This, this knowledge of Christ is not this, well, I know Kansas won, or I know God created, or I know Jesus died, or I know just knowledge that he lives, but it's, it's an experience it's he said no to sin, and so I'm saying no to sin. He said yes to the will of his Father, and so I am going to, and I am saying yes to the will of my Father. And do not lose sight of that picture of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because sometimes we think about Christ saying yes to the will of his Father, and we say, well, yeah, it's easy for him to say yes to the will of his Father, but it's really hard for me to say yes to the will of my Father. Answer the question for me, please. Was it easy for Christ to say yes to the will of his Father in light of the, in, in light of the picture of the physical suffering he was enduring at that time? Yes or no? No. I mean, he says yes. There was no, there's no doubt that he was going to say yes, right? He was holy. But physically, he was suffering. Look, look as we continue here in verse 21. He says, If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, your old manner, the way you used to live your life, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he's saying, think godly thoughts, live godly lives, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying... Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that, ye, that he, may have to, he may have to give to him that needeth. So 
You used to steal, but now you work and you labor to earn money to give to people. But you, but you used to be a thief. You used to pray. You used to look for people who were vulnerable that you could take advantage of and steal their stuff. But now you don't think that way anymore. You're following Christ. You're, you've experienced Christ in you. And he has led you so transformed your life that you no longer look to prey upon the vulnerable, but now you work to la- you you look to labor and work hard so that you can give to others and be a blessing. I mean, this is what he's saying. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, all kinds of things could be corrupt communication, certainly talking behind others' backs and lifting oneself up in pride or maybe foul language. Don't let this proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That's what he's been talking about. He wants us to be edifying one another. So instead of tearing each other down with corrupt communication, be edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind unto another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Um, look back to our text. In verse 13, that middle party says, I want you to grow, I want you to come to the unity of the faith, and he says, and the knowledge of the Son of God. And that, what I just read to you, is a very practical fleshing out of the knowledge of the Son of God. It, it, this knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, is not just, I know, I know about Jesus. I know some Bible stories about Jesus. Lazarus, right? He raised him from the dead. Yeah. Fed, fed the f- feeding of the 5,000. Feeding of the 4,000. Fed a lot of people. Good, good person. No, no. The knowledge of Christ that God wants to bring us to is not just a, a Sunday school knowledge or a Bible quiz knowledge. It is a, an experiential knowledge. And the rest of the chapter, he talks about what that experience is like. It is transformational. And many of us have experienced that, and we are experiencing that. Now, look, look down to verse 13, the end of verse 13. He talks about being Christ-like. He says, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so as we individually find ourselves becoming more like Christ, the body of Christ grows together. When you and I say yes to our flesh, when you and I are saying yes to our flesh, the body of Christ is fractured. It comes apart. It's dysfunctional. Um, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And there are, different, there are different handicaps that we see in our society. Uh, my dad worked with physically handicapped and some mentally handicapped students. Um, starting the special education programs down in Fenton, Lake Fenton, Linden schools years ago, and I used to go. And uh, and I can remember Dad would get some of those kids in the pool, and they had major uh, physical handicaps. So, you know, they Dad would have to lift them into the pool 
and they were alive, but they couldn't move their body. Their limbs were, were withered. They had no control over their legs or their hands, some of them. They were alive. And, and dad would teach them somehow to swim, to float around. And he would he'd take them swimming. It's sad. It's not what God desires for his church to be in that kind. That's not the body that accurately represents the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. But know this, a church like Trinity Baptist Church will be dysfunctional. It it will be atrophied. It will be weak. If if individual members are not saying yes to the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that it is that simple, really. It is that simple. We can have programs, we can have organizations, we can have the heads of this, and we can have great leadership over here, and we can have exciting programs over here, and we can have missions trips over here, and we can have um, almost a salesmanship type of uh, let's raise money to give to missions type of atmosphere. Uh, we can manipulate, but the Lord says, no, 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 cut through all of that. You just as an individual, you say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say yes. And what happens is, as we do, and he's given gifts to this end. He, he's provided help for you and for me. But as we individually say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, the body is strong and it is healthy and it is vibrant and the body is actually united. Number two, stability. Number one is unity. That's what comes when there's a mature church. Number two, there is stability. Look at verse 14. He, st- he says that we henceforth or from now on be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Um, that word where he says, no more children, what kind of children is he talking about? Well, the idea of that word in the Greek is a child that's not old enough to speak. He's not, not old enough to communicate. So, should we be a church where there are no baby believers? Yes or no? I'm not trying to trick you. No, we shouldn't. Should we, should we have baby believers within Trinity Baptist Church? Yes, that is a good thing. Um, John talks about children. He talks about young men. And he talks about those who are more mature men. Okay. So, within a church, we ought to have that spectrum. We ought to. We want that. Now, so it, it's a good thing for church to have baby believers. Oh, it's wonderful. We want that. We want this. We want. We ought to be seeking to win others, the lost, to Christ. And we ought to be doing this more and more as we see the day approaching. Um, things going on over in uh, Russia and Ukraine. Right now, the media seems to be painting Russia as this impotent, uh, dysfunctional. Uh, almost, uh, there's almost a wow factor of, wow, I can't believe, we thought they were an amazing power, but look at, I mean, they're nothing. They can't even, that, that's almost the picture that's being painted. I have news for you, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, the great bear of the north is not going away anytime soon. Okay. 
It is in prophecy they will attack Israel at some point with a confederation of other nations. Um, should we be tossed, and I say that to say this, as we see the day approaching of the Lord's return, of a time of tribulation, um, uh, uh, the kingdom of God being set up on earth someday, time is short. I'm not predicting a time. I don't know the time. I think some of the things of our day are reminding us that time is short. We, we need to be telling people who are lost that Jesus saves. Okay. And when people are saved, they're added to the church. So the church always ought to have baby believers. But should baby believers stay baby believers? No, no, they should not. Um, we should be growing. We should be maturing. And so there's a stability that comes with this. Okay, when we read verse 14, we get this clear picture of what God does not want among in the midst of a church. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul warned the church at Rome in Romans 16, now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the, the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And who is it that gets carried away with every wind of doctrine, or every different kind of teaching? And the answer is those who are gullible, or those who are, who are younger those who are children. And, and he's telling us, I, I don't want you, verse 14, to continue to be children who are tossed to and fro. We need to know what's going on. We need to know why we are living the Christian life. Why? We need to be resolved. We, we need to be determined. I am going to serve the Lord. I know what my flesh is leading me to do. I, I can see what's happening in the world. But you know what? I am going to serve the Lord. And if it's for another 50 years, I will serve him and I will strive to serve him for those 50 years. If it's only 10 more years or five more years, or if it is 100 years, whatever God's timeline is, I am going to serve the Lord and not toss to and fro. He's saying, don't be tossed to and fro. Children are the ones who are easily swayed. Children are the ones who are easily gullible. We don't have too many children in the room. Years ago, I made a comment. It was near Christmas time, and I said something about, I've done this with the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, and I think I've ruined things for parents and people over the years, but we don't have any young children in the room, okay, at this point. Um, by the way, um, I did not have a hardcore belief about Santa Claus when I was a child, but my, my mom did tell me a couple times that Santa Claus wouldn't come until I went to sleep, and so I, I uh, you know, snuck covertly out and watch, and it was her actually who brought the presents to the tree. Okay, but uh, our children will believe a lot of things. You know, the Easter Bunny. Who believes? Do you believe in the Easter Bunny, Kathy? No, not anymore. Uh, you know, Easter Bunny, uh, Santa Claus. Children will believe a lot of things. There, what is truth in our day? You, isn't it amazing? You can go to the different news outlets. Who do you believe? Do you trust 
the, do you trust what the Russian government is saying? Do you trust what the Ukrainian government is saying? Do you trust what our government is saying? <laughs> do you, what media outlet do you trust? I mean, and you say, well, I, I, I trust them. But even then, if there's someone that you know that you can trust, even they, they're a human being. Are they always right all the time? Right? I mean, it's, we live in this day. And so what we do have is we have the word of God. We have the truth. We have the word of God. And, and it is necessary that we grow and mature because the word of God gives stability. It, uh, it helps us to grow. God wants us to be discerning as to what we believe. In the church at Corinth, he spoke again in chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. To the church at Ephesus in verse 14, in the beginning part, he says that we henceforth be no more children. Again, it's not a bad thing to be a baby believer, but we ought not stay there. And God wants us to stand firm. Look at verse number 14, the middle part. He compares these violent winds um, to wrong teaching and error. He, he says that people are tossed to and fro. He uses this analogy. He likens wind-driven waves to immature believers. A young believer who faces his own constantly changing opinions, uh, someone who hasn't mastered the study of the Word of God. His convictions aren't firmly fixed upon the bedrock of Bible truths. A spiritual a baby, a, a baby believer will often espouse one viewpoint for a little while and then discard it and adopt another viewpoint. And, and he, he describes this as being carried about with every wind of teaching or every wind of doctrine. The wind blows this way, and yeah, I, I, that sounds right. The wind blows this way, the teaching changes. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. So throughout church history and the history of the world during the time of the church, God wants his children, born-again believers, to be mature. And when we're mature, there's unity within the church. There can be disunity in our world. The society can be coming apart, but there's unity within a church. And, and then stability. The world can be unstable, and it is right now. It's very unstable. But there can be stability within a church. One thing that encouraged me greatly during the last couple of years, 2020 especially, when COVID was declared and shutdowns were declared and, and, and mandates were made where you could not have 10 people even gathering within a home uh, or 10 or more, something like that. I was amazed at how Trinity Baptist Church came through 2020. I remember at the beginning of that when we were, we were in situations where we were not meeting Sundays for a period of weeks, not assembling. And then there was a time where we were not assembling on Sunday evenings or Wednesday nights. There was a lot of things we that we, we were not able to do or we did not do at that time. And I remember wondering with the pastoral staff, how is this going to affect Trinity Baptist Church? And it did. It did. There are some who have never returned since. So it was not all positive. But I will tell you this. I was amazed at how Trinity Baptist Church, the mature believers within the church, withstood that storm. Okay, that's, I was encouraged by that. 
And that comes with the, with mature believers. God wants us to stand firm. I'm going to give you one more word, and that's in verse 15, and that's sincerity. Uh, what is it that's found within a mature assembly of believers? We don't always act mature. <laughs> but, but when we are mature, when we are grown up by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're following his leading, we want to serve him, we're growing in the truth, we're being fed the truth, we're receiving the truth, unity, stability, and finally, sincerity. Look at verse 15. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So what is necessary for us to grow up into him? Uh, the answer would be the truth in love. That is necessary. Um, and I might ask you this question. Are you a sincere person? Are you a genuine person? Are you are you real? Uh, are, are you a person of character and integrity? And what you see is what you get. And he tells us here within the church, there ought to be this, we ought to be characterized by speaking the truth to one another in love. The truth needs to be spoken, and that's obvious, the simple, unvarnished truth. By the way, this is a way to avoid error. Um, no spin. No manipulation. I'm going to present it so I can get this result. No, no. Speaking the truth. Being straightforward with one another. Being upfront. Being honest with one another. It needs to be spoken. In opposition to all the deception of this world, Christians are to speak the simple truth and nothing but the truth. Our world is not characterized by this. Okay? It is not characterized by this. Um, I don't... I guess that should be a frustration to us. Um, it ought to bother us to a degree, but it doesn't need to be all-consuming. We know this world is not of God. It's of their father, the devil, who is the father of all lies. So we ought not be surprised by that. We ought to be encouraged, though, that we have the truth, and then we need to speak it. We need to speak it. I think the best thing, practically, we could do for our country in these days in which we live is to speak the truth. But you better make sure it's the truth. Don't regurgitate something you've read or, or heard or said or you don't know to be the truth. Speak the truth. Um, we, ought to be more, we ought to be more intent on speaking the truth of this book than anything else. We ought to be more passionate about the coming of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ than we are about uh, even the blessings of God upon our nation, the United States of America, that we love so very dearly. We ought, we, we have to speak the truth. We, we must speak the truth. But then he says, speak it in love. And he's talking about the edifying of ourselves. He's talking about this within the context of the local church. There are different ways, I suppose, we can speak the truth. We can yell it. We can speak the truth accusingly. We can point a finger when we speak the truth. Um, we can whisper the truth. He tells us, though, that we're to speak the truth in love. We're not to do it in a crabby manner, but always in love. John Phillips writes this, quote, We can go to two extremes. We can speak the truth, but not in love, in which case we are being ungracious. Truth spoken in that spirit often offends and does little good because it alienates the people we are seeking to win. Or 
we can speak in love and suppress the truth, in which case we are being untruthful. He goes on to say, people who do not want to hurt someone's feelings may say nothing and allow a sinful situation to continue, end quote. So as Christians, we need to always speak the truth in love. We need to take the gospel to the lost in love. I think there are two great hindrances to evangelism today. One is not speaking the truth because we're either too busy or we're too afraid of what they might think about us. Or the other is that we don't care. We really don't care if they perish and die and go to hell at all. We need to speak the truth in love. Church, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Uh, the, the truth is given to you. You have the truth. The spirit of truth lives within you. He's leading you into all truth. You know truth. You have truth. Speak the truth. Speak the truth to one another. Speak the truth within your marriage. Speak the truth to your children. Children, speak, speak the truth to your parents. It was a blessing even in the last 24 hours. One of my children uh, came to me. Actually, it was something was brought to me, and I asked this one a question. I said, did you, was the light on? Were you in bed? Did you know you were supposed to be in bed? <laughs> uh, were you playing with your toys out in the room? This was all after bedtime, and this was a younger child with red hair. <clears throat> and uh, no, there's no point. You're, you're all figuring it out anyway. And he answered affirmatively to everything, or he answered honestly to everything. Oh, I wasn't in bed. Yes, the light was on. Yes, I was playing with my toys. Yes, I knew I was supposed to be in bed. And um, there was a measure of discipline given because he had disobeyed his mother. But there was less discipline given because he had been honest with his father. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. We need the truth in our day. I forget the name of the man. I wish I could remember. I didn't write it down. During the time of the Soviet Union, there was a man who um, had written, and he was against communism, and he had written several articles against it, trying to expose it. And he basically told the people of the Soviet Union, he said, if you as individuals will just stop affirming lies, start speaking the truth. Don't agree with something that's a lie. And it will be exposed. It will be revealed. Um, within our church, and at the end of this verse, he tells us that we need to speak the truth in love. And in so doing, we will grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Look at verse 16 as we close. And I want you to see that he is putting us together. And I want you to be reminded of this. And Pastor Phelps, you mentioned this from time to time. And every time you've ever said it, it's always a tremendous encouragement to me. Um, Pastor Phelps has often quoted uh, Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church. What a blessed promise. What glorious words those are. Here is the how the Lord builds his church in verse 16. He says in verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. So we've talked about this, right? Some are hands and 
ears and eyes and ear or feet and elbows and big toes, right? He's gifted us differently. The whole body, though, fitly joined together, compacted, that means firmly knit, so as not to be separated by that which every joint supplieth. Those joints are the bands and the ligaments in our human body. They're the Holy Spirit in the spiritual body, Christ in us. According, he continues in verse 16, to the effectual working, that would be of the Lord Jesus Christ through us in the measure of every part. That is, as every body part needs care. And he goes on to say, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is the work of God. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is the Lord's church. And he works with us. He saved us. Um, we still fall. We still sin. We still, we, we don't measure up all the time. And um, sometimes we really feel like we're almost losing and, and we're almost going backwards. And yet he never gives up on us. And he keeps consoling and encouraging and he brings people into our lives. And, and here's when I read this passage and study of this passage. This is my conclusion. I want to be used of God. I want, I want to be used of the Lord Jesus Christ to help build his church. That's what I want. That's what I want. And if God's called me to be the pastor, then so be it. I will, I will do it that way. If he had called me to be a deacon, I will do it that way. If he called me to be an usher, I will do it that way. If he calls me to sing in the choir, I will do it that way. If he calls me to be a faithful a member who assembles with the body of Christ, I will do it that way. I will do it sitting in the chair and hearing the word of God taught to me. I'll do it at home. And again, this sounds so glorious and grandiose. Pastor's doing it all. No, no. There's my flesh that's pulling the other way. There's the world that's tempting and there's the Satan that's tempting and trying to draw me away. The world is saying, that's ridiculous. What are you doing? And yet in this passage, we're reminded of what it is that God is doing. He's saving people. He's adding them to his church. And he tells us that Christ will build his church. And he wants to work through us, within us, to do it. So it's not, it's not all up to me. But it is up to me to say, yes, Lord, would you work through me? to build your church? Would you use me to strengthen that brother? Will you use me to teach that brother? Would you use me to encourage that sister? Lord, would you use me? I want to be used if, um, as, a, as a member of the body of Christ. Two times in these verses, Paul emphasizes love. God emphasized love. You know, you know this, and this is kind of a sad thing. Do you know, the, the book of Ephesians was written about 60 AD, give or take a few years. Um, about 35 years later, AD 95, John was exiled to the island of Patmos, and God was giving him the, the revelation. And he talks to seven churches, and one of those churches was the church at Ephesus, just 35 years later. And in Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I know your works. I know your works. 
I know what you do. And then he says this, you've left your first love. And it was not long from that time that the church of Ephesus ceased to exist entirely. He, he was telling them in AD 60, 62, 63, in this passage, what he wanted to do. He was telling them what he would do if they would say yes to him. Teenager, say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Trinity, you've been saved for 55, 60 years. You're discouraged by world events. Be excited about God's timeline. Be excited. Be sold out and dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ at this point in your life. Say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us see what God does when we follow his plan. It will far exceed above uh, it will far exceed anything that you and I could ever imagine. And it will be the church will be exactly what God wants it to be in this time in history. That is what I want. That is what he wants. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.